From the latest community news to informative, entertaining reads for travelers and the cannabis curious, just visit your local Black Press Media community newspaper website to sign up today. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. From code to closets, safety to skylights, we'll take you behind the walls and all things home building and renovation. And give you the ins and outs from the experts on what you should know in plain language about home building, design, and renovation. I'm Mike Friedman. And I'm Jennifer Lee. Now that you're here, why not hit subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And don't forget to share with your family, friends, or anyone else you know who might be thinking of a project in their home now or in the future. We have Mark Cooper from Shakespeare Homes and Renovations. He is the president of Shakespeare Homes and Renovations, and he's also the chair of Haven Mike. Yeah, Mark is a heck of a great guy, and he's going to talk a lot about builder licensing, but at the same time, he'll also talk about some of the red flags and some of the other things that he's seen out there that he was going to share with us as well. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to today. It's going to be fun. Can you tell us a little bit about your company? It's been around a few years on the North Shore. I'm trying to think how many years now. We set up in the early 1990s and we specialize in predominantly large structural renovations and in recent years into custom homes. So it's been a good journey. Here's a fun fact. We are over 400 projects now for Shakespeare on the wow. North Shore, which is uh, a lot of doorknobs. And so, you know, walking down the street... Christmas shopping is always fun. I don't get to really um, get it done. seems like every store I stop in for half an hour because I see clients of mine. So I'm pretty fortunate, actually, to have the North Shore as my living community. And I have got to know a lot of people. Maybe mayor next. Maybe that's what I should do. I was going to ask when you're running. <laughs> you can run in it's a been, few more years. It's been talked about. It's been talked about. Just kidding. Mike and I will do your campaign commercials. You know, I'm most <laughs> excited about the four-hour permit approval process that's about to happen on the North Shore as soon as our, our new mayor takes the office yes uh, well over the counter permits of course yeah <laughs> mark how many years have you lived in the north shore are you from the area originally i was actually born uh, in north van and so first sort of six or seven years of my life i spent there and then my mom and dad are from the uk and off we went back to england they were having trouble deciding where they wanted to live so i spent another couple of years in england and then they moved back and then when i was i think i was 11 or 12 years old and we went back to england one more time and i spent another almost four years there and then uh, came back and I haven't been back to live there since. So North Van's been home. I love the name of your company. I'm a huge Shakespeare buff. Is that any link to your like English heritage on why you chose the name? Gosh, I'll have to tell you the very short version of this story. <laughs> okay. so, a little bit of Vancouver heritage here. So my father's from Derby, England. When he moved here, one of his close friends from Derby had already arrived in Vancouver and his na- name was Ralph Shakespeare. And, and for those renovators, you'll love this. He was a wall-to-wall shag carpet salesman <laughs> back in the 60s. And everybody back then, was covering all this beautiful hardwood floor with carpet. And so Ralph worked at Woodward's department store at Oak Ridge. And my dad, being his friend and recently immigrating here, wanted to help him promote his business, said, you know, Ralph, give me some business cards. His response was, I don't have any business cards. Everybody knows me as Ralph. My last name is Shakespeare. People will remember that. And I work at, you know, Woodward's department store, which was really the only one in town. Later, my dad formed a sign company, called it Shakespeare Signs. My dad retired. I took over the name. 
same. So I kept that little sort of story that my dad sort of put in my mind why he called his sign company Shakespeare Signs was that somebody would remember it. You know, it has a connotation of quality and it's something that's easy for people to remember. I love it. I always love hearing origin stories. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's so cool. Well, we only ever get a chance to meet you at this stage in your career and we don't really get a sense of how you get here a lot of the time, but yeah. these little stories really add a personal element to it as well. And can you talk to us a little about what you do in Haven? Because you're not just a member. You've done a little bit more than that. Talk to us a little about what you've done in Haven and part of the reason why you love being as actively involved as you are. Yeah, I mean, Haven has been a great anchoring for me at my company. I've been able to use a lot of the resources they have with training my own staff over the years, getting to know a lot of great tradespeople, suppliers, and so forth, and, and a lot of guidance. Even though I'm older than most of the fellows that I call my cronies, I've had the great pleasure of being guided through some that are uh, a few years older than me and many that are much younger than me with lots of good advice. You know, working in the construction industry, every every day is a new day. There's nothing sort of precise about it. So that's been great. As far as my involvement, uh, you know, I've been on the board of directors for, for many years and I'm quite proud to be uh, the current chairman for the board and working with Ron Rapp and all the staff at Haven has been a, a, a big delight. It's uh, It's been really enjoyable and I'm proud to be a member. If somebody is looking to find a builder, where do you start to make sure that you find the right one? Haven, of course, is a great resource. You know, on their website, is has got a tremendous search engine for finding the right builders and renovators. You know, everyone's, of course, going to do their own search engine, uh, you know, things like that, talk to the neighbors. Uh, they get a sense of who's working in their neighborhood. People need to meet a series of people in order to get not just, you know, the grounding to who they're going to work with, but I think that it's all about getting perspective on their project from different people. I tell my project managers the same thing is that if you're going to get only one electrician come through, you're only going to learn what he knows about the project. And if it's a renovation, if it's a large scale renovation, there's a lot to learn about from any trade. So if you get a multiple trades come in, actually your scope of work starts to get more refined as you go on. And so from the consumer perspective, perspective, even with a new build, it's the same thing. The more builders you talk to, the more you learn about your property, the challenges your property might have, the complications of your design, you know, things like that. You'll just learn more and and ultimately you'll develop a better team going forward. Also on that note, how many, is there like a secret number of how many people you should be interviewing when it comes to building your home? Is it like- just one. Just one. <laughs> you know, I think generally a lot of people say they're going to meet with three. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a bit off-putting when somebody says I'm meeting with six or seven. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. So I think they just need to do a little bit more research up front so they're not wasting a lot of people's time. Okay, I want to get a little bit deeper on the hiring process for a builder because now I'm looking at it through the lens of a homeowner because I don't have a background in building. Obviously, there are some things you want to do. The first thing you want to do is get a copy of our free members directory. That's where you're going to find the best people to work with. But beyond that, you'll find your name and a lot of other great people in there. How do we shortlist it? I think that we've learned a lot lately, globally, and certainly in our local market about support local or, or buy local. It doesn't really matter where you are in the lower mainland and every roadway is under construction and traffic is a problem. Commuting is a problem. Hiring people is a problem. So hiring local, I think, is really the secret sauce to that success, like the long term. I think doing your research in the local market, I can remember back in the old days, it seemed like 
like you know consumers would go back into the lumber stores they'd go into the Hollyburn lumbers and the and the Dick's lumber and they would ask who the you know the best you know builders were but today everything is at your fingertips I think you also have to be aware nowadays we have so many different mediums of seeing photos and yeah if you're choosing an architect or an interior designer then they have a style that maybe you want to have but when you're looking at photos that a builder's done you know there's photoshop and everything like that so I think sometimes driving by like the physical project and see hey does that house look like a quality home is there any other tips that you can give possible homeowner that wants to build a new home of uh, different ways they can find out if the builder is a good choice or not i've had literally so many times people go to our website and say i don't think we can afford you your photos are just amazing and i have to go through this sort of almost undoing process to explain that of course we're going to show the nicest products just like going into an automobile dealership they're going to put the most beautiful cars in that showroom all lit up with the nice lights i think that the pictures are one thing you got to meet these people and you really have to understand who they are what they stand for you know is the project about price is it about quality is it about how quickly can you do it and things like that because you can't have all three so you brought up the driving by i think that's really important that i'm always uh shocked at how some building sites are left heaps of garbage strewn out onto the street even excavations you know like pouring you know spoils water pumped out on the street to me that's not someone who has um, care and attention to not only the neighbors but uh to the home that's underway mark do you think it's worthwhile to ask for references absolutely yeah you should definitely have references and talk to a couple of customers and you know, be prepared. If you're the consumer and you're going to phone up a couple of customers, there is no perfect contractor. There's no perfect builder or renovator. You're going to hear things that you might not want to hear, but it's about getting a general story from multiple references, three or four, that basically come down into this guy's a good hire. He might be slow on invoicing or what have you. You might hear little things, but it's it's really about the core values of that builder and what they stand for. I always tell people to be wary of Google reviews too, because anybody can get behind a keyboard and, you know, say not truthful things so it's like always be a good judge like do they have a ton of negative reviews from word of mouth or whatever or do they just have like one or two because sometimes people are just not the right fit with each other I think it's so important to find the right fit between builder and client as well I think that you know as builders you're also interviewing the client it's a two-sided street some of the things that I need to ask the client you know apart from their you know their budget and their timing and things like that I like to ask a lot of questions and finding out a little bit about what their experiences are have they ever renovated before or built a new house before have they done any major projects of any kind where they've had you know ups and downs with the experience because there will be you know it's it's just nature of the business and it's all about how you deal with that and and i i find that some people aren't willing to realize that that um depending on their careers depending on their personalities there can be some concerns that would be given off to i think the builder but i do ask people you know do they understand what this involved in the length of time for design the building permit process the consultants that that are now required to be involved in a new build it's there's many and trying to step them through everything because to me all of that work up front and understanding and comprehending it is far more important than just can you build this here's some drawings that can you build this mr builder like the whole journey is difficult yeah people don't realize that things are going to take a while like if you need inspections or certain permits and everything or weather can be a huge impact in building as well and so i think when you are with the client you have to like like you said take them through 
through step by step because they don't realize they just are like, oh, I want my house done tomorrow. And sometimes that's not the case. It's not the case. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of that show. It's like move that. Oh, bus. yeah. Move that bus. Yeah. <laughs> Build you this house in a week. It just uh, doesn't happen. But that's not realistic. No, not realistic. <laughs> so, yeah, there are a lot of holdups and delays that are in construction. Things just do take time. I think in, an, in terms of a new build, they seem to go together very quickly once the hole is dug and the forming and framing goes up and the roof is on and then, you know, the sheathing goes on the outside and the home just sort of seems to hang there for a long, long time because you're not really aware of all the work that's going on inside that you can't see walking up and down the, the street with your dog every day. Let's take a couple minutes and have a brief break. I would like to say a huge thanks to our industry partners and our sponsor, Fortis BC, for all they've done to help us bring this podcast to life. Yeah, thank you so much for supporting us with this podcast, Measure Twice, Cut Once, to benefit homeowners and help them make the right building decisions the first time. And please review us and follow us. We would love it if you shared it with your family and friends to inform them about all this great knowledge that we are sharing in the building industry. And you can win a barbecue from Fortis BC. Oh, now we're talking my language. You know, a barbecue can do so much, including at this time of year, as we move into the fall season, you can take a lot of really good root vegetables and cook them up. So a lot of people think barbecue is just for those of us who eat meat. But the fact of the matter is you can bring people to your table, feed them all sorts of food. Mike, I like where you're going with this but we're gonna have to have a longer discussion we don't have much time but we gotta get back and continue our conversation with mark cooper from shakespeare homes and renovations on how to find the right builder for you and i know this is something my friends have asked us all the time and a lot of people just don't know to ask this question in the interview process with the contractor but can you talk about how important it is to ask about the liability that the contractor holds it's actually a great question because i think it's you know most businesses today have an insurance policy and it has liability but there is a bit of a gray area while you're under construction that both the builder's liability and the homeowner's insurance policy don't always bridge the gap and so consumers should read up on builder's risk or course of construction insurance. And that's a policy that rides, you know, the best way I can describe it, sort of in between builder's liability insurance and the uh, homeowner's insurance. Certainly, if you're doing, you know, a a large scale project, you need to notify your insurance company that you're underway. They will want to sell you that policy, that course of construction insurance, if they can. I think that it's worth looking to perhaps the builder, because if the homeowner uh, wants to take out that policy, the homeowner's insurance won't list the builder as a recipient of any claim. So the builder's not going to want that because if materials goes missing, you know, there could be, we're, we're having like theft happening this week on a, on a project right now in the city of Vancouver in a really, really nice area. And there's a big question mark about insurance. Fortunately, we have course of construction insurance that covers all of that. Insurance is a really big part and liability insurance is part of that. But having your project insured to cover both you as a homeowner as well as the builder as well. It's, uh, it's meant to be covering both parties. Yeah, it's so important to think of because, you, you like you said, you want to know, you don't want to start pointing fingers and we're like, who's that's, responsible? That's exactly what happens, right? Is yeah. that you have a lot of materials or uh, fixtures that come on and, and these uh, these pros out there, they're watching. They see the, you know, the appliance company roll up and load all those appliances into the house and drive away and nobody's living there. It's, you know, there's a lot of money involved. So, um, and long before that, there's building materials and right now building materials are going way, way up in price, and uh, there's a lot of value there. Yeah, you don't want to lose that stuff. No. No, this seems like something you want to get in writing, and it also seems like something as as a homeowner we should be talking to you about right away is protecting ourselves and you from any liability. Yes, yeah. Because 
correct me if I'm wrong, anyone who comes on that job site and gets injured is the responsibility of the homeowner unless there's proper insurance in place, correct? There's, uh, of course, there's WorkSafe BC, which is an insurance policy that protects the workers that the, uh, the the contractor is carrying. But there are elements there where the homeowners could be responsible if there's um, negligence on their part or anything like that. You know, so if there's a you know not, uh, unrelated area of the property, somebody hurts themselves, could be that you know that's more of a liability against the homeowner. So insurance has to be in place. It's not as expensive as most people think, and and it's it's like anything. You hope you never need it, but if you happen to need it, you best uh, rest assured it's in place. It's definitely worth it to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you is, say somebody hires a contractor and then the relationship six months down the road starts going south. What would be your advice for that homeowner? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've been there on both sides of the fence, to be fair. It's not easy. It's a relationship. We've all been in relationships, uh, personal ones and professional ones. It's it's a hard journey to manage at times. And and largely like, you know, in your personal life or professional life, when there's money involved or big sums of money, it, it adds strain and stress. So at times, you know, I think it is just the cues. You got to just sort of be watching the cues. The builder needs to watch the cues. The consumer needs to watch the cues. And if there are things that just aren't feeling right, don't let it ride out. Like address it early on. Hopefully it's resolvable and hopefully you don't really need to rely on your contract and you should have a really thorough contract that covers both sides of the fence. And that's another thing people don't think about is contracts because I've heard so many horror stories of people like, oh, there was no contract. I just hired them. Well, you know, the thing about contracts is interesting. They're often sort of a daunting thing to go through, even for the builder. I mean, to go through and understand each project and complete the contract is, you know, because some things might be not relative to certain, you have to maybe change the data to be to a renovation to a new build or what have you. When you're going through the process with the consumer, they and hopefully are reading it really carefully, it flushes questions that makes everybody address them because there's a lot of language in a contract that needs to be understood. So I'm a big fan of them. I, and it's not about protecting my business. It's about protecting the relationship as a whole because there are things in construction that need to be understood and who is responsible for them. And if something were to go wrong, whether it's just a, a falling out or something just doesn't happen in terms of schedule, in terms of budget in terms of change orders things like that need to be talked about so if you put it in writing and everybody understands the language then it's sort of done and dusted put that away move forward mark as you're going through this process are there any red flags that you think consumers should be aware of as they're doing this in other words if you were in our place and you didn't know what you knew what's some of the stuff that you might hear that you get your spidey senses tingling. Like if it's a big project, I simply tell them right up front that we're not working if there's no permit. You know, if we're, we're going to go through the process if there's a permit required. I think that uh, spidey senses, I like, I use that quite a bit myself. I think that says a lot. I honestly, gosh, my wife Kelly, she calls it 100% of the time. If I'm, uh, I come home and I just start talking about my day, I just, you know, chatting about a client I met or, or something going on, she picks up on the way I'm describing it and she says right away that's a red flag she just picks up on my dialogue and maybe the lack of confidence or something in that item so you know consumers need to listen to their gut i find that most people they're very excited about getting going on their project that's the one thing like you hear oh we've been thinking about this for a long long time and they're excited and sometimes when somebody's really excited about you know buying something or moving forward they forget about all those other steps that are really important to go through
So you got to govern yourself. You got to go through the process methodically and slowly and avoid those situations. But if you do have the spidey senses, you know, maybe write yourself a note, find out what it's all about and uh, and address it up front. Don't wait. Now, I think at this point, we all understand that permits are important, but not everybody has accepted that that is such a crucial part of the building process. Can you talk about two things? First of all, number one, what a permit is for and what's the purpose of a permit? And two, it's obviously protect people from liability. Can you talk about how people are protected by engaging the permitting process as opposed to attempting to circumvent it? Plainly put, in terms of building a new home, there's really no way around it. You need a building permit. And so that is just, you know, flat out fact. If you're being told that some builder can build your house without a building permit in the lower mainland, that's simply not the case. Where you see more newsworthy things or projects under construction without permits are, um, it's quite shameful actually, but the, the municipalities are unable to police it, not willing to police it. It's really not their jurisdiction. So if you're getting into a renovation that you're taking out a wall and that wall can be in your opinion, the builder's opinion, even the building official's opinion, it could be a non-supporting wall. Bylaw still states you need to take a building permit out. If you're adding windows, you require a building permit. If you're removing significant amount of drywall for your renovation off the ceiling or an exterior wall, you need a building permit. So there's a variety of little uh, checkboxes that you've got to go through. And I know, you know, generally most people don't want to invite the municipality into their homes. That's just kind of this thing in their mind. But, you know, as a, as a consumer, you put so much trust, so much money in the hands of the contractor that you met a few months ago. And and now you're, you know, shouldn't you be worried about who's checking him or her? And so it's really the municipality have their checks and balances at certain milestones during the construction process to make sure that that's done correctly. And if you are doing those structural changes, you need to have a structural engineer, which would be a consultant involved in your project. Very nice. And what kind of education does a builder need to have? Yeah. Yeah, so building new homes, uh, there is uh, fortunately there's a licensing process now. So in order to be licensed as a builder, they have to spend 40 hours of, of education. They allow you 20 hours of that if you're involved in a project in the current year. So every year you're required to have 20 points. Essentially, it's a point an hour. 20 of those points get credited back essentially if you're under construction without a new home. The rest of it is classroom. So really, really happy to see the education program. Haven's got some tremendous uh, programs running all the time uh, in class and online where you have to be, there's no negotiating. You have to be a participant in that training and you have to be there and present. You have to go through it and then you get a certificate back and you calculate all your points and then you get your license renewed every year. With renovations, it's actually not regulated currently, other than by what we talked about earlier with the municipalities with their checks and balances. There's uh, a bit of a movement uh, to try and get renovators uh, certified or licensed. And I'm uh, a big fan of that. I think it's necessary. It's uh, it's absurd that a renovator with no training can add a 2,000 square foot uh, addition to your home or a whole third story to your two-story bungalow or anything like that without knowing that they've had the formal training to do it. Now, there's great renovators out there, don't get me wrong. And a lot of them are not uh, licensed builders, but they do attend the training and they do, they do count for something. So I think really at the end of the day, when you're hiring some but you want to know what their level of expertise is and what their level of training is. And, and maybe they can actually substantiate that by saying, look, I've been to like 30 hours worth of training every year. I know what I'm doing. And then, of course, if they're working with a good structural engineer, then that's a really good, strong team. Yeah, it's so important to know that because, like I said, a lot of people are just like, oh, I can just hire whoever. And it's like, no, you got to check in to see if they have 
education and the renovation thing, I didn't know. Like, and that's crazy to me that you can add a full story. And yeah, it is. It is actually pretty crazy to think about that. Okay. So we were talking about red flags. So Mark, what are the top three questions you should be asking the contractor before hiring them? Because now you've narrowed down maybe to three contractors like we're time before, but now you got to ask them those important questions. Well, it's, I think the, the process is really part of it. So if we're talking about a new build, you know, do they have the experience? Um, can you see some examples of work that is relatable to your property? Not that they can just build a new house. You know, if, if, you, if your lot is unique, complicated, are they familiar with that? And, and often the case, the, the builder themselves may not have built on a complicated lot, but they have, you know, a good team around them. Okay. So I think understanding their expertise. The other item would be understanding their system in place. So how do they operate on a day-to-day basis with communication? For example, you know, do you get daily updates on the on what's going on in the job? How is that coming to you? You know, what is going on uh, with the schedule, and how often do you, as a consumer, get updated uh, on your schedule? You know, an, an extending schedule or an expanding schedule usually means more money. Just something to keep in mind. It's just something that needs to be considered. It doesn't always happen that way, but if the if there's scope creep or something's taking longer, if there are guys there working, it's costing you more money. So that's something to consider. And speaking of money, I think that the, you know, outside of schedule, um, the actual budget reviews and setting up something that works for you and the builder in terms of, you know, checks and balances. Um, every builder is different on the way that they bill. Uh, so understanding that, whether they're billing, you know, every two weeks, which is our model, and I quite like it because you get a more refined look at your checks and balances or are they billing in milestones so foundation you know excavation foundation you know framing and so forth whichever way the builder does or whichever way you you and your builder are most comfortable you really need to be setting up a, a review of that like how are we doing kind of review how is the schedule doing how is the budget doing my phrase that I use with my staff is uh, what's our burn rate and what I'm referring to is um, the ratio of uh, labor dollars uh, being burned per day in relation to what's allocated and what's left. So, you know, simply put, if you've got a $50,000 number and you're three quarters of the way through the job, you know, you, you've burned up all your labor, you've got a problem, you know. And if you're interviewing a contractor, should you also be asking them if they are going to be the point person on your project? Are they going to be the one that you're with? Because you want to develop that trustworthy relationship. So if they give you somebody else that you've never met, that might not be the person you want to work with. Yeah, that's a great question. I can use my own example like you know people will meet me very first meeting and a couple of meetings after that for sure and then eventually it's turned over to a project manager so it's actually a question that I like because I um, I might have to change it up a bit at my own company and make sure that they're meeting with the person that they're talking to every day we do interconnect the project manager a little further into the process but I think that's definitely who are they going to be talking to you know is it just the site lead will they get along with that person how's their communication skills those are good questions to ask for sure I want to sort of tie a bow on some of the things you said we talked about having a point person who you deal with talking about the team of people behind you who you're working with the systems in place and even the budgetary reviews when all of these things are done properly and effectively as you guys do the results are significantly better than in they're not can you think of a project in the last little while that comes to mind which was both challenging and rewarding where having these things in place and having these foundational parts of your business already set up really well changed how the project went and why it made it rewarding 
rewarding as it was challenging? Well, when I hear about challenging and rewarding, this one actually project comes to mind and all of the theories we've just discussed are somewhat shelved at that moment because my client had a project with a broken foundation down the middle and he was on a very, very steep embankment and at the bottom of the embankment was a creek and the house was essentially slowly working its way down into the creek valley and the the foundation, as I mentioned, sort of snapped in two. You know, initially it was, we'd like to build a new house, okay? So we went to the municipality, we looked at, at some of the setback requirements and they have a couple of, you know, I think most people may or may not realize that in your property, on your private property, you have a front setback, which is often, you know, people know that's where the water line uh, shut off is on their property. And then the distance from your neighbors on the side, you have side yard setbacks and you also have a rear uh, yard setback. In the case of a property with a slope, you have top of bank, which is a fairly new sort of measuring stick been placed uh, on builders as to where you can place any permanent structure. In the North Van municipality, it's 45 feet or 15 meters, I think it's the number, from top of bank. And the top of bank is determined not just where you think it is or where I think it is. It's where uh, land surveyors determine where it is. And then the district has to approve that, of course, that they also agree that that's top of bank. And in this particular case, the house was non-conforming front to back. If we were to build a new house, we would have to put it further towards the creek for the front setback. And because of the top of bank, we had to move it further towards the street. So it was non-conforming front to back. And the municipality essentially wouldn't allow the new home to exist on this property. So we were forced to renovate the house. And in order to do that, we now needed a team of specialists. Okay. And, and this is something I've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, strength in numbers when you're into complicated projects and, and getting the consultants that not only, most importantly, that the builder trusts. I think that's really critical is that if you're talking to an experienced builder or renovator, they're going to know who the guys they can trust in trades and, and, and consultants being the engineers. So in this example, we had to get a geotech engineer involved. That's for your soil stability, structural engineer and so forth, and our designer. And we had to actually fix the top of bank with a large structural wall to shore that up so that we could actually fix his foundation and then renovate it. And by renovate it, I mean, we literally took it to foundation and rebuilt it. And so he got a new house out of it. With all the experience I have, couldn't have done it without the team that we put together. And the client trusted us. And and that really is critical. You know, once you pick the builder, you got to trust them. You may not understand the language. You may not understand why they do certain things when they do, but you do have to trust them. There's a lot of moving parts. It'll all be okay. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. Yeah, it's been fun. There's lots of good questions and even found myself thinking about all kinds of different parts of my business by answering them. It was good. Perfect. And if anyone wants to get in touch with you after this uh, goes live, um, has any questions about the building industry, how can they get in touch with you? Shakespearehomes.com can find us there. And I really pride myself on coming out to see the clients. So look forward to meeting some new people. Thank you so much. But before we go, of course, we've got our next episode coming up. We're going to be talking about the topic that a lot of people don't enjoy, and that is budget. And we have a great guest, and that is Matt Senf, and he is from Sasson Homes. It's going to be a good episode as well. Oh, good. Matt's a really really good guy. Haven stamp of approval by well, the chair. That just goes back and speaks to uh, who we are, that we we really do respect each other. We respect our fellow members and we try to promote each other whenever possible. We build each other up. Agreed. Thank you again. Okay, thanks, thanks, guys. This has been Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast from Haven, the Home Builders Association, Vancouver. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and links to everything mentioned on today's episode, go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. 
Follow us and review us to help empower homeowners like yourself to make the right decision the first time. And automatically by doing so, you'll be entered to win a gas barbecue courtesy of our friends at Fortis BC. Whoa, 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 slow down. This isn't just a gas barbecue from our friends at Fortis BC. This is a precision cooking machine. The Napoleon Prestige P500 stainless steel natural gas barbecue. You can cook some great things on it. And if you know barbecues, you know this brand is an amazing brand and an awesome prize that I wish I could win as well. Until next time, this is Mike Friedman. And I'm going to brush up on my knowledge of barbecues. I'm Jennifer Lee, reminding you to measure twice and cut once. From hidden local hotspots to outrageous wildlife rescues and trend-setting hotels, westcoasttraveler.com shares the latest travel news from your local community and beyond. Travel the spectacular west coast of the U.S. and Canada without leaving your armchair and start taking notes for your next adventure. Make your next vacation or staycation the best it can be. Visit westcoasttraveler.com.